We're thankful for the Word tonight. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to ask you to be with us. You are with us. You promised that you would never leave us nor forsake us. So you always see us. You always are ready to help us. You are always ready to hear from us. And you're always ready to bless us. And so, Father, tonight we ask you, pour out yourself unto us through your holy word and by the Spirit of God. Minister to every person who is in this place, every person who's watching this service tonight and in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 10 and verse number 27. Uh, Seems like I'm... uh, in a faster gear here. I don't know how long that'll last, but we'll take advantage of it. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse number 27. By the way, it's so good to see all of you here tonight, and we bless you in Jesus' name. We call it the hour of power. We usually never get done in an hour, but we don't go too much longer usually after, so we try to be efficient with our time. And one of the things we like to do is tackle subjects on Wednesday night that we can stay with until we're finished, until the Lord lets us know that we are through with it, because you know you never get finished completely with any Bible subject. Uh, You just uh, have to, at some point, you change gears and go to a different one. But we're learning. Amen? Isaiah 10, 27, we are talking about the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. To anoint is the action of application. It means literally to rub, to smear, or to pour. That's the verb. That's its usage uh, uh, is to, to rub, to smear, or pour. So when you put on your deodorant today, thank God you did, amen, Uh, you were anointing yourself with whatever that was. And then, of course, there are situations in the scriptures where you can read where people were anointed by actually oil being poured over them. And of course, that is symbolic. The natural anointing is symbolic of a spiritual happening because what we are anointed with And that's a noun, of course, you know. The other's a verb action. This is a noun. What we're anointed with, the substance we're anointed with, will determine the outcome. And, of course, the whole idea in the Bible is that it is the ability and the power of God manifested through the presence and operation of the Holy Spirit. The anointing is the ability and the power of God manifested. That means it's demonstrated. It actually is tangible, as we will see as we continue to study. And this all happens because of the presence and the flow or the operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, things are in the Bible anointed to signify sanctification. People are anointed also for sanctification, but also people are anointed, and this is primary, for being a conduit or a channel for the flow of the manifested presence, the manifested ability, and the manifested power of God through the operation of the Holy Spirit. And of course, what we're going to see from the Scriptures is that we all are anointed. Not everybody is anointed for the same purpose necessarily, but generally speaking, we all are anointed by the Lord. And let's, uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's read some scripture. Isaiah 10, 27 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden, and this is referring to the enemy, of course, and so you could just take it this way. We're talking about whatever burdens the devil would try to put upon you, any kind, spiritually, physically, emotionally, materially, whatever it may be, his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke, that's something to control, his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit is yoke-destroying, 
burden-removing power. I want to say that again because that is so important. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is yoke-destroying and burden-removing power. So the controls that the devil tries to put on you, the yokes that he wants to control you with, all of those things can be broken off your life through the power of the anointing. Now, Jesus made a statement in Matthew 11 and 30 when he, would talk to, when he was inviting people to come and follow him and learn of him. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I believe that he must have been thinking about this verse from the book of Isaiah when he made that statement because he was saying, whatever I give to you, to uh, harness you into, and whatever I would put upon you, it's going to be something easy and something light. It's not going to be some poor old me, woe is me. You know, this whole idea that if I serve God, somehow I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. If I serve God, I'm going to have to be broke and poor, busted and disgusted all my life. If I, if I serve God, I'll probably have to go to some foreign field where I don't even want to go, where they don't even have running water and uh, cable television. Uh, if, I, if I serve the Lord, I'll probably have to marry somebody that's ugly. Uh, you know, I don't know what all the devil tells people, but it just seems that he does his best to tell you that serving God is kind of the bad thing, the wrong thing, the worst thing you can do. Well, I'm here tonight to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, by the words of Jesus Christ himself, that serving God is the best thing you'll ever do. It is the most blessed thing that you'll ever do. Never fear yielding to God. Never fear serving the Lord because He has your best interest in His heart. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the anointing is yoke-destroying, burden-removing power. Let's go over now to the book of Acts in the New Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 10 and verse 38. This is a verse that we come to often in our services around here. We talk a lot about it. It's a very powerful and important passage of Scripture. It gives us a fact that is so, so important for us. Peter was preaching to the household of Cornelius. God was opening the door of faith to the Gentiles through Peter's preaching of the gospel to them. And he said in verse 38, this is part of his message. You can read it all if you'd like. But he said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Power, that's dunamis. That's the word where we get our English word dynamite from. He anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. Notice he didn't go around killing people. He didn't go around making people sick. He didn't go around causing people to lose their job and to lose their home, lose their marriage. Sounds like a country song, don't it? He didn't, he didn't go around making people go bankrupt. No, he went about doing good. I'll never be able for the life of me to understand how, why it's so hard to get religious people to believe that God is a good God. You know, I wasn't around back then. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. And I wasn't around back then in the early days when Brother Roberts was, uh, Brother Oral Roberts was get, doing his ministry. But, but I've heard, I remember hearing a preacher talking about that he would go to churches and hold meetings. And Brother Roberts was kind of in his heyday, you know, holding all those great tent crusades and everything. And people were getting healed. People were getting blessed. And at some point in time, Brother Roberts adopted the uh, slogan, Something good is going to happen to you. 
And I heard a preacher say that pastors would tell him when he would hold meetings, I wish he wouldn't say that. I wish he wouldn't say that. As if God is going to do, you know, want something bad to happen to you. You see, the whole idea people have is that, that you don't want to get your hopes up because it might not happen. Well, you know, we've got to get back to faith 101 to change that attitude. Because God is not a, it might not happen God. God is a God of answered prayer. God is a God of responding to faith. God is a God who keeps his word. Amen? So I just want to say, something good is going to happen to you. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing. All that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. I want you to notice that everybody Jesus healed, he said, was oppressed of the devil. That doesn't mean everybody had a devil in them. It doesn't mean everybody was demon-possessed. But it just basically tells you what you really already know in your spirit, that that mess is from the devil. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're dealing with, if it's bad, if it's painful, if it's chronic and you can't seem to get rid of it, whatever it may be, I can tell you God did not put that on you. God doesn't want it on you. It's not his will for you. It is something the devil's trying to hold you back with, and so it's time to shake it off. And when we put this scripture alongside of Isaiah 10, 27, what we realize is it's through the anointing of the Holy Ghost that that yoke will be destroyed and that burden will be removed from your life. And so we want to know about the anointing, what it is, how to get to it, how to release it, even how to minister it as believers. And uh, it's just one of the most important things you'll ever learn. Amen? Hallelujah. Now let's go back to the book of Luke, please, chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now in this passage, of course, we see that Jesus um, is come forth and, uh, and he has uh, come from his baptism and he's in the wilderness and the devil tempts him in all these various ways. And of course, he uses the word and he uses scripture, quoting scripture. He defeats the devil in every situation. It's a good lesson to learn. Don't try to fight the devil without your sword. Amen. Don't try to fight the devil without the word of God. And that word needs to come out of your mouth. Amen. Not just an oh my God or oh Lord. But I mean a scripture, some word. What did the Lord say? What did my God say? That's what's going to move the mountain. And that's what the devil is afraid of. It is a sharp, two-edged sword. And it will cut the devil to smithereens. Amen. Whatever smithereens are. Amen. Anyway, chapter 4 of the book of Luke. And we'll start with verse number um, 14. Verse number 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Everybody say, he was anointed. So by the time you get to this passage of Scripture, Jesus has been anointed. So what, what's described in Acts 10.38 has taken place. And now he's walking in that anointing, ministering in that anointing. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So he did a circuit or a series of meetings, evidently, in different synagogues. Notice it's plural. And then finally he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was... 
He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So evidently, it was his custom in the Nazareth synagogue that he would be one of the readers of Scripture. And so the minister that's going to be referred to in a few moments was like a deacon or a servant in the house of God. He would be the person handling the scroll. And so when Jesus went there this particular day, he stood up to read. And verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah. And when he opened, had opened the book, he found the place, and that's chapter 61 as we know it, he found the place where it was written. So on purpose, he went to this passage. He took this text for his message this day. And so he reads, and beginning in verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me. What for, Jesus? Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, to preach deliverance to the captives. Number four, and recovering of sight to the blind. Number five, to set at liberty them that are bruised or crushed. And finally, number six, verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which for every Jewish ear that heard that, they understood that was referring to God's year of Jubilee. Because in the Jewish economy for centuries, they had known about the Jubilee. Every 50th year was a Jubilee. It was a year of reset. It was a year when debts were canceled. Every man that had mortgaged properties and, and had not been able to inhabit their own property, it had to be given back to them. And uh, people were set free. It was just a wonderful time. It was a year of jubilee. And so that's what that term, acceptable year of the Lord, means. And so everybody, now listen carefully, everybody that heard Jesus this day up to this point, everything is pretty well normal. I mean, they may have heard about some things that had been happening in other synagogues. They might have heard something about some of these things. But so far in this particular meeting, on this particular Sabbath day, in this town of Nazareth, things are just pretty much like they have always been. Until, and then we read on. He closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them. Notice he began to say. So we don't have everything he said, but we have the beginning. This day, not tomorrow. Not next week, next month, next year. Not when you get to heaven. No, he said, this day is this scripture, this, this specific passage I just read to you from the prophet Isaiah, this day is this scripture fulfilled or available, fulfilled in your ears. And you know, you might be thinking that that would be a happy day of celebration, that every person with needs would be so happy that their jubilee had finally appeared in the person of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. But if you would think that, 
about these people on that day, you would be wrong. Because nobody in the house felt that way. As a matter of fact, verse 22 says, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? That's the King James Version of, Who does he think he is? We know who, he's, who his daddy is. And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me, This proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And then he talks about some people that were uh, healed, that got miracles in the Old Testament under the prophets. And he, he uh, brings up some points about how that people in Israel didn't get miracles, like Naaman the Syrian, uh, who was not a Jew. And uh, how the, the widow in Zarephath got a miracle, a provision, uh, and even though she was not a Jew. And, of course, these Jewish folks in the synagogue got very upset about it. And when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Verse 28. And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. You know, I, I know I've made some people mad preaching sometimes, but I, nobody that I know of has ever tried to kill me. I mean, can you imagine what anger and animosity there must have been in this crowd of people that they would try to kill him, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now, what I want you to see is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not something that is future, it is something that's now. And in my years of ministry, I can tell you that this is one of the hardest obstacles to get people to cross over because so many people have no problem with you talking about the miracles of the past in the Bible, whether Old or New Testament, because even the New Testament accounts are 2,000 years ago. And many of them have no problems with even acknowledging some supernatural happenings through, uh, through the last 2,000 years. And, of course, all Bible believers have no problem with thinking about God being a supernatural God. And we sing and we shout and we praise about heaven and when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And it just seems like that people have no problem with the supernatural as long as it's probably at least 75 years ago or 70 years ago or beyond. Or if it's out there somewhere in the future where we don't know. The problem where people have, I mean, the place where people have a problem with this thing is in the here and the now. And that's exactly the way the devil wants people to be hung up. Because as long as you are not in the here and the now, you're not in faith. Faith is not future. And faith is not past. Faith is now. Now. I can receive now. You might say, well, well I don't feel any different. I'm not talking about how I feel. I'm talking about receiving in my spirit. I can take what's mine right now that has been promised to me and declared over me in the Word of God, and I can say, it's mine, I have it now. It doesn't matter what it looks like, what I feel like, what anybody else says or does. The Word of God is true. And you have to be willing to stand on that word. And I'll tell you, you know, sometimes that seems so frustrating. And sometimes people have such a problem with this. And they even, you know, like these people, they got mad at Jesus. They should have got mad at the devil. Because it was the devil that had them messed up. Jesus hadn't done anything to hurt them. Jesus is giving them a way out. 
But when they heard the word, they became offended. Well, that just goes along with what Jesus taught us in Mark chapter 4. One of the first keys the devil tries to use is to steal the word away from us. And then one of the other means that he tries to do is then to get us offended. If we don't, if we don't just throw it away in the beginning, then he wants us to get into it deep enough to get mad at, at God or somebody about it. But I'm telling you, it's not the word that you're mad at that will help you. It's the devil you get mad at and use the word on him that's going to change your life. Amen? The anointing. The anointing. It confirms the word and causes it to literally come to pass. The anointing repels demons like a garment worn, like you wear a raincoat that repels the water. So the anointing is like a garment that we wear and it insulates us from the destructive elements that surround us in this world. Hallelujah. And so the anointing of God is such a powerful thing. And it's not weird. You know, have you ever, have you ever seen folks and they, they talked about the anointing, but they seem just a little bit strange. <laughs> Maybe more than a little bit strange. And uh, have you ever uh, looked at certain situations or certain people and the way they talked about it, it was almost like this is some secret. I really don't like the use of the term, the secrets of the anointing. It's really not a secret. It's not a secret. And it, it should not be complicated. Let's go to 1 John. I want to show you something that's really simple about the anointing. And it's so simple that if you're not careful, it can just pass you by and, and you might not uh, take full advantage of it like you should. So listen to what the Word is going to say to us here in just a moment when I find it myself. First John, praise the Lord. And we're going to look at the uh, second chapter. First John, chapter 2, and verse number 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him, who is John writing to? Believers, isn't he? So he's writing to believers. He's writing to you. He's writing to me. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So I want you to just notice that every believer has an anointing, and that anointing will bring teaching to us. And even though the anointing is upon teachers to teach us, you, you know that the anointing is what's going to help you receive. Amen? Now, if you go back in the, in the same chapter to verse 20, verse 20 says, But ye have an unction. That, that is a word we could use for anointing. You have an, an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. So I want you to see that every believer is anointed. You are anointed. Say this with me. Say, I am anointed. Maybe you've never said that before about yourself. But so let's say it again. I am anointed. The devil needs to know that you know. You remember Sunday? You know. You need to make sure he understands that you know that you are anointed. Amen. Now... I want to talk a little bit about the anointing, just a few things before we run out of time here tonight. I want to uh, point out to you that the anointing can come upon us in stronger fashion, 
stronger measure, greater measure than other, at other times. Sometimes people wonder why it is that the anointing seems to wax and wane in ministry, in, in the lives of individuals. You may have wondered that about yourself. At times, you know, you, you sense the anointing more than at other times because the anointing is tangible. The closest thing in the natural that I can use as an illustration that might would help you understand, and certainly it helps me to understand, is electricity. Electricity. Has anybody ever been shocked? Did anybody have to tell you, let go? No. It was so obvious. Well, the anointing, likewise, in a good way, is obvious. It is tangible. It is capable of being touched. It is capable of touching us. The anointing, we could say it this way, is is God's power in the spiritual dimension being manifested over into the natural dimension. Amen. And uh, so the reason that we don't constantly always walk in the fullness of that anointing is because if God poured it out upon us always to that extent, we couldn't function. Just like when you stuck your finger in the socket or whatever you did, you know, and you, you got shocked, all of a sudden, whatever else you were doing became secondary. You had only one thing on your mind when that was dealing with that electrical shock. And so when the anointing is, there comes a point where the anointing is strong enough until that is the focus. And so that's why one of the reasons you're going to have to have a glorified body. The glorified body can take that. Your natural body can only take so much and such you know, a measure. And that's why, you know, uh, people that, that minister, those of you that have ever ministered, and uh, you minister under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you know that when, when that ministry time is over, you're usually kind of worn out. It spiritually charges you, it rejuvenates you, but physically it will take a toll. And uh, uh, that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just a product of living in a natural body. And so I, wanna, I want to give you a few things about the anointing tonight. We're not going to uh, get finished with this subject tonight, but we're going to say a few things that we, we need to, uh, to deal with. And that is um, some things that will determine how the anointing can come upon you. The anointing comes through separation through association, and through impartation. Separation, association, impartation. I want to say a few things about this. Separation has to do with your environment, where you're living, what you're doing, who you associate with, the things you spend your time with, the entertainment that you feed on, the music you listen to, um, where you are. You know, the, the where makes a difference. You can't read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. You cannot read it without knowing that places had, have significance with God. Amen. For instance, Jerusalem is significant to God. Maybe you've never been there, and maybe you'll never go there in this lifetime. I don't know. But 
it is a significant place to God. Jerusalem is the place where empires have died. One after the other after the other. When they made the wrong move, took the wrong attitude, took the wrong direction toward Jerusalem and, and that surrounding area, that's when empires died. You can listen to history and they'll tell you all the reasons about the, um, the, the, the uh, waning of, for instance, the, the great British Empire. Well, it's, it's amazing how that, that, uh, that escalated after they had their dealings with Jerusalem. And you can go back all through history, even the ancient history. And so places, I'm trying to stay on my topic here though, places are important to God. I would encourage you to make your home a place of peace, a sanctuary. I would encourage you to, to work at developing an environment whereby that you can be at peace. Two things will help you walk in the anointing, and that is order and peace, and I'll add a third one, beauty. I heard a minister talking about going to see Dr. T.L. Osborne, who preached to millions, literally millions of people in the earth, the message of the full gospel. And probably, maybe more than any human, uh, reached more individual people on the continent of Africa maybe than any other human ever has, in person. Millions of people. And um, he, he told this particular minister, he said, I like to surround myself with beautiful things. So he had, you know, he had a rose garden. He had, you know, it was just a beautiful place. And uh, it helped him be who he was. I'm glad it did. He was a powerhouse for God. So I don't know all the things you like, and I don't know all the things you want to do, but I can tell you your environment has a lot to do with the anointing on your life. If you live in a place that is constantly in turmoil, if you're in a place that is uncomfortable, if you're in a place that is unsafe, then you're going to have a struggle walking in the anointing because you're going to be dealing with so many carnal things and natural things. And you can believe God to get out of that mess. I've lived in some rough stuff before, and God can bring you out. Amen. Separation. Separation has to do with your environment. So, you, you know, I can't, I can't just go everywhere. I can't watch everything. I can't listen to everything. I can't associate on a regular basis with just any kind of situation. I need to protect the anointing. Everybody say protect. Whatever anointing is upon your life, and we're all anointed, we found that out, you need to protect it. It's one of the most valuable things that God has ever given to you. Then the second thing we said was association. This has to do with influence. Who's influencing you? Whose life and ministry is influencing you to the things of God? Those associations are some of the most powerful and some of the most valuable that you have. Those associations should be protected, they should be honored, and they should be nourished because one of the great ways that the anointing will come upon you is through association, the influence that is brought by association with the right people. Can you say amen? amen. 
Some of you remember, you're old enough or you've studied history enough to know and remember the name Catherine Kuhlman. Miss Kuhlman was a very, very powerful minister who was not so much a teacher or a preacher. She really, more than anything, exhorted scripturally, and, and that's a ministry, by the way. But the gifts of healings and miracles flowed through her in, in a powerful, powerful way. But, you know, I heard Brother Hagin say one time, Brother Hagin, you know, lived through all those years. He was born in 1917. And he said, he said, Miss Kuhlman's ministry, that the way that she ministered, that way that she did things, and I say that, and those of you who have ever seen her or heard her, you know what I'm talking about. He said that was not original with her. She had been associated with a minister named Everett B. Parrott, P-A-R-R-O-T. I don't know if it's two T's or one, but anyway, he's not here tonight, so we won't offend him. But she kind of came up in that, and, and that association, that same kind of anointing got on her. And then she took it to levels that Parrot never, never reached. So association is important. And let me encourage you, whatever it is that God is drawing you into, whatever it is in the, in the area of ministry and anointing, that is in your heart to do, that you have a great zeal for and a great joy for, if you will associate with people in that same vein, it will help you get where you want to go more quickly. Don't try to be what you're not. Don't try to be what you aren't. Let God bring out those gifts and ministries that are in you. Separation, association, which has to do with influence, and then I said impartation. And impartation means that we yield to that anointing. We receive the anointing. Now, one of the things we have to understand here is that we can't just say, well, Lord, I'm going to dictate to you how I'm going to receive. And I'm not going to go here or there. I'm not going to sit under this ministry or that ministry. I'm not going to submit to the laying on of hands. I'm not going to submit to this particular kind of teaching. I just want you to do it all for me, special. Do it my way. I want to be different. I want to be unique. Yeah, and you're going to probably get flaky and weird. I've met some of those people. And they do it their way. But we don't really like their way. It doesn't produce much. Amen. And so be willing to yield. Be willing to receive the anointing. And whatever God is doing especially in the context of a church service, if, if, if he's doing a certain thing and a certain type of ministry is going on, then just yield to that flow. Go with that flow. That's why when it's, it's time to sing and to worship and lift our voices, that's what we're supposed to do right then. We're not supposed to be twiddling our thumbs, chewing gum, running in and out and all that stuff, we're to, be, we're to be actively operating in that facet and that aspect of what God is trying to do and yield to the Holy Spirit in that moment because there are things God can impart to you and give to you just while you're standing there worshiping Him in the congregation. Impartations come in various and different ways, and so we need to always be open, but always yield to whatever the Holy Ghost is doing at that moment. Don't have this attitude, oh, no, here we go again. When are they going to quit singing that song? 
Or I've been standing up. How long have we been doing this? You know, I, I need a ham sandwich. <laughs> it's kind of a joke. I most all the time have a ham sandwich on Wednesday night. Nick always asks me, what are you going to have to eat? He knows before he asks. He's just rubbing it in. Let me give you this fourth thing about the anointing. Stay in your lane. I already already said that in a way, but don't try to be what you are not. And don't try to um, imitate somebody else. Just imitate them alone. Uh, They can impart things to you. You can learn from them. But whatever God has called you to do, stay there. Stay there and operate in it. Amen. Now, how we respond. See, those those are four things about ministering under the anointing. Now I want to give you just a few quick things, and we'll probably talk more about it next time. But I want to give you a few things about receiving the anointing. And the first word I want to give you is the word respond. Respond. If you don't respond to the anointing, you're not going to receive much from the anointing. That has to do with acknowledging the anointing. The second word is respect. It's one thing to acknowledge and to have some kind of response, but it is another thing to move to the uh, uh, degree where we respect the anointing. We respect the anointing. Now, that doesn't mean that we think people are perfect, and that doesn't mean that we think people are on a pedestal and that they're like, you know, God Jr. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about idolizing people or looking for perfection in men, but I'm saying to respect the anointing means that some, to some degree we're going to respect God's men and women. It's so important uh, that we learn to respect the anointing. And so that means that the anointing that's present, we would submit to it. Now, I know that people have taken this thing to the ditch. I know people have taken this thing so far that they have, you know, they've, uh, they've, you know, they've tried to build a little kingdom. They, they want everybody to do what they say, and they want people to, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, come to them for every decision they make and all that kind of stuff. I can tell you that I have no interest in that. I don't care where you buy your car or what kind you buy. I don't care what house you buy, how big it is, how little it is. I don't care where you buy your clothes, what kind of shoes you wear. I don't care where you eat or where you buy your groceries. I do not want to control your life. But I have learned that if I respect the anointing, when I see it upon somebody, that that puts me in a position to receive. And the same blessings that come with that anointing, comes upon me if I respond properly and respect it. Amen. So that brings us to the third word, that is receive. Learn to release your faith in the anointing. Learn to activate uh, your receiver and come into a place of expectation. You know, the, one of the most important things, let me say it this way, what we do before we come to church many times is as important or more so than what we do when we get to church. We can come to church ready or we can come to church not ready. You know, if, if, uh, if you knew that you had an interview tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. 
and it was one of the most important interviews of your life. This could make a difference between whether you make $100,000 more next year than you make this year, and this could make a difference in your entire career and the rest of your life. You would probably get up a little early, and you'd probably make sure that you were at your best. Well, I want to tell you, the God we serve can do more for you than $100,000. I mean, he can bless your socks off financially, but he can do things for you that money cannot buy. And so it's really important that we respect and receive from the anointing of God. And then number four, the next word, is we need to learn to obey that which comes to us in the anointing. In other words, when Naaman got the instructions from the servant of Elisha to go dip in Jordan seven times, it wasn't what he wanted, it wasn't what he expected, it wasn't what he thought was going to happen. Nothing was working like he thought it was going to. He got all mad because the prophet told him, go jump in the river. And he was very upset about it. I mean, he was a, he was a Syrian general. He was, he was an important man. He had communications with the king. Uh, you know, people just didn't treat him this way. Except Elisha. Didn't even come out of his house. Sent the servant out. Tell him to go dip in Jordan seven times. And oh, he was upset. And so you know the story. His, his, um, his uh, servants with him that had came on the journey from Damascus down to Samaria, they, uh, they told him, said, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it. In other words, why don't you just do what he said? Just do it. And you know the story. He did and he was healed. That's what I mean by obeying. You know, it's very difficult sometimes for Americans to obey. We are by our nature from the roots of the founding of this nation. We are rebels at heart in the flesh. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. You know, you get my gun, you'll pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Well, if it comes to that, trust me, they will. A lot of stuff's easy to say when you don't really have to deal with it. But the fact is... Sometimes people wonder, why are there, aren't there more miracles in our nation than maybe there are in certain other parts of the world? One of the reasons is that. People in America, they want it their way. I remember a lady one time, she got all bent out of shape because they anointed her with oil and she'd just been to the hairdresser. <laughs> she was not happy getting oil on her new hairdo. I don't remember there was any testimony of any miracles received on that night from her either. I'm not talking about foolishness, and I'm not talking about doing things to humiliate or intimidate anybody. But I'm talking about there are times that we don't understand all the wherefores. But there are things that God requires that will only work when we obey Him. And so whether it's just, you know... uh, an usher asking you to step a little forward. Or if the place is full and they, they ask you to sit in a certain place. All these things affect how we receive. I know I'm getting real picky here. But, but these are some of the reasons why that so many uh, meetings go, come and go and nothing happens much. I mean, you know, it's, it's, they're good in a way. But, but you know, and, and here's another thing that we have to learn in the word of faith world. 
Church is not just about going to get more information. It is important. But I'm not just up here to deliver information. I am also responsible to deliver some impartation. There are things that go beyond even words that come by the Holy Spirit working in your heart that change you forever. I remember going into to a meeting one time, and uh, I went to see the minister before. Uh, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't plan to do this, but I was asked to come in and visit for a few minutes with the minister before the service started. I walked into the room, and I began to weep. It wasn't because he delivered a bill to me or told me some bad news. It was the anointing of God that was so strong, even in that back room before the service ever started, that it began to affect me. And, and that is what we hunger for as a church. We are very hungry that people come and not leave the same way they came in. No, everybody's not going to weep, and, not, and I'm not talking about some sadness. I was not weeping because I was sad. I wasn't, I wasn't in that state because my life was in a wreck and a mess, and, and I was under conviction to change my life, and that can happen too, but that was not the situation. It was just the overwhelming presence of God. I knew it wasn't the man. I knew he wasn't God. I didn't worship him, but I knew he was carrying an anointing. He was wearing the presence of God like a garment. And when you got close enough, it began to affect you. And that's what I'm That's what I'm talking about. The anointing will make the difference. Hallelujah. It's in here tonight. You can sense His presence here tonight. And when this presence is here, you need to reach out with your faith and say, I receive it, I take it, it's mine. I have it now in the name of Jesus. I receive, I receive, I receive that impartation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we don't have time, but there's two other things we'll talk about, and that'll come next week. We'll talk more about this area. But the anointing you serve is the anointing you will receive from. Ask Elisha when you get to heaven. Ask Joshua when you get to heaven. Ask Timothy when you get to heaven. And the anointing you sow into is the anointing that will bless you. Ask the Philippian church. Paul said, you guys are the only church I ministered to. In my ministry travels, you're the only ones that ever partnered with me. And if you read the book of Philippians, you will find that he talks more about rejoicing to them than any church he, he wrote to. And you will find that he was said to that group, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, let's worship the Lord for a moment. Hambrese telemandria. Kevele belioro santoro mohisha prava la boko satalamandria baya. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the anointing. Thank you for the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do on Wednesdays. But I think that it's something the Lord is leading me to do. And you can either do this uh, or not, of course. 
And I'm, I'm not asking you to stay a long time or anything, but you can stay as long as you want. But I'd like to encourage you just to come up and let's kneel around the altar.